You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. It's the idea of of not being engrossed in these things, not being engrossed in these things, not being dominated by them. Because if we are, if we are, we'll never really make a difference for the kingdom. We'll have the nice house, we'll have the nice garden, we'll maybe have a successful business, maybe even a nice family, but never do anything really significant for the kingdom of God. There are so many good things that the Lord gives in this life. It's right and good to appreciate and value them. Yet if those things cause you to put the Lord in a position of lower priority, then you must re-examine your life. Today, Pastor Danny will challenge you to think about your commitment to the Lord and His work in this world. Are you willing to go where He sends you and do what He asks you to do? Are you willing to suffer or even die for the cause of righteousness, love, and salvation to a lost world? Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 20 as he continues his message, God's Volunteer Army. Next stop, before we get back to Deuteronomy, 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 13, 1 Samuel 13, verse 5, the Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Verse 6, when the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, They hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. You jump all the way to chapter 17 of 1 Samuel and verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim. Between Soko and Ezekiel, Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. He's over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head, wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. That's about 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. Its iron point weighed 600 shekels, 15 pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you're not the servants of Saul? 
Choose a man. Have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects. But if I overcome and kill him, you'll become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Here's what the Proverbs is. Fear of man will prove to be a snare. It'll lock you down and keep you from moving forward with God. That's why God again and again encouraged his people, encouraged his people to be courageous, to be brave. He told Moses, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or terrified because of them. He's referring to all the bad dude kings they would meet along the way and all the vast armies they would encounter along the way. Don't be afraid of them. Be courageous. For the Lord your God goes with you. He told Joshua, be strong and very courageous. He said it again in verse 18, same chapter. Be strong and courageous. Joshua, in turn, as the leader, said to the people, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. Now I want to pause for just a minute. It's natural to fear. You hear what I said? It's natural to fear. Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there all alone. The boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Three recorded stories in the Gospels about Jesus and the boat in relation to storms. One, he's in the boat, but he's asleep. Remember what the disciples did? They wake him up and they say, Lord, don't you care that we're about to die? And he spoke and there was calm. The second one is here and the third one is here. You say the second and third in the same story? Yeah. Shortly before dawn, verse 25, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. They think they're going to die. They think this is the death angel. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. Where's your courage? It's I. Don't be afraid. One gospel account of this tells us specifically, Jesus looks down from the mountainside and he sees them in the storm. Another account says when he comes, he's walking on the lake and he would have passed by them. He would have passed by them. He's just going to leave them there to deal with it. Why? Because the only way to overcome natural fear that we all have, we all have, all of us, all of us. It's natural to fear. And the only way to overcome it is to learn to live by faith. He wants them to learn to live by faith. <laughs> Verse 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, 
tell me to come to you on the water. I don't know how fast Jesus replied, but I think it was pretty quick. Come. I think that might have taken Peter off guard. But he gets out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. And, of course, we know how it ends. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. He was afraid, and he began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me, and thank God for the grace of God. He reached out. Jesus reaches out and pulls him up. He doesn't just let him sink to try to teach him a lesson there. The only way to overcome fear is by faith. And that's what God wants, to learn to live by faith. Even the greatest servants of the Lord in his army need encouragement. Need encouragement in this regard. Let me go to one more. The book of Acts, chapter 21. I don't know a greater servant in the Bible, certainly not in the New Testament. I don't know of a greater servant for the Lord than the apostle Paul. Paul arrives in Jerusalem. I'm just going to have to summarize without reading all the text. He's at the temple in verse 27. They stirred up the crowd, these Jews from Asia that had caused him trouble there. Now they come to Jerusalem and they stirred up the whole crowd and they seized him. And uh, basically riot happens. And if it weren't for the Roman soldiers uh, that come to rescue Paul, they would have torn him limb from limb. By the time you get to the end of chapter 22 and the beginning of chapter 23 of Acts, Paul is now before the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court. An uproar breaks out there, and it says in verse 9, there was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down, take him away from them by force, and bring him into the barracks. Please don't miss chapter 23, verse 11. If you're not there, just listen to it. The following night, after this happened, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul, and he said, Take courage. God never wastes words. You know that, right? God never wastes words. So if God's saying to the apostle Paul, take courage, he needed courage. What he had just gone through, fearful, and it's natural to fear. And what he needed here now was encouragement from the Lord. Take courage. As you've testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. I'm not done with you yet, Paul. It's going to be okay. Courage. Deuteronomy 20, verse 5. The officers shall say to the army, has anyone built a new house and not yet begun to live in it? Let him go home. Or he may die in battle and someone else may begin to live in it. Has anyone planted a vineyard and not begun to enjoy it? Let him go home. Or he may die in battle and someone else enjoy it. Has anyone become pledged to a woman and not married her, you're engaged. Let him go home, or he may die in battle and someone else marry her. And then the officers shall add, is anyone afraid or faint-hearted? Let him go home so that his fellow soldiers will not become disheartened 
two. One of the reasons he requires courage is because when someone fails in courage, they tend to influence others to cower as well. But let me say very quickly, in the same way someone could be affected negatively as a result of fear, they also can be affected positively as a result of courage. I was going to read it. I'll just refer to it. Story in 1 Samuel 14, right in between where I was reading before, Jonathan with his armor bearer. They go up to a Philistine outpost, and Jonathan says, hey, the Lord can save whether by many or by few. He's a man of courage. He's a man of faith. God gives the sign they were looking for to climb up and face these Philistines, and they do by faith, and God gives them the victory by faith. And after that victory, because of their faith and their courage, the Israelites, the army that was in hiding in the cisterns, in the caves, in the thickets, they come out of hiding. And with Jonathan and his armor bearer leading the way against the Philistines, God gives a great victory. And it would have never happened if not two guys had stepped out and had faith and had courage. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1, as the Philippian church was probably the most endearing church to the apostle Paul, when he set out in ministry, they were the first ones, the only ones initially to support him financially. They were very concerned about him. They heard words about him being in, in chains and, and, and what he had had to go through. And yet he writes in chapter one, opening verses, verses 12 to 14. He says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. And then he adds, not only has it served to advance the gospel in places the gospel never would have gone, inside the palaces, but he says, most of the brothers have been encouraged to share openly the word, the gospel, without fear. Because of Paul's courage, because of what Paul went through, it encouraged others to not cower, to not hide, to not be snared. Well, what's the second one? First is courage. You know what the second one is? If you sow into the house, and that's what your life is all about, you'll never do anything significant for God. The planting of the vineyard, that takes time, cultivation. It could be the business, you know, you got to get that going. And, and if that's what you're into, and that's solely what you're into, and you're dominated by that, then you'll probably never do anything really significant for the Lord. Paul said in 2 Timothy, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Does that mean I shouldn't have a house? No, no. I hope you understand this, right? It's the idea of, of not being engrossed in these things, not being engrossed in these things, not being dominated by them. Because if we are, if we are, we'll never really make a difference for the kingdom. We'll have the nice house. We'll have the nice garden. We'll maybe have a successful business, maybe even a nice family, but never do anything really significant for the kingdom of God. I wrote down some characteristics, was reminded of a good soldier. First duty is to commander in country, and our country is not this country. 
He lives a holy life. You know that? Lives a holy life. A soldier lives a holy life. He's separated for a specific purpose. It's a holy life. A soldier, a soldier is mobile, mobile. There is no place. You say, well, you know, I won't be deployed there. Now, I'm not willing to go there. You don't have a choice unless you go AWOL. You go anywhere in the world that they say you need to serve. Jesus said, if anyone comes after me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. That's a soldier. It's not talking about an emotional hatred there. It's talking about a choice. If the family is the first thing and God is not, then the family will determine what my priorities are and where I will go and and what I will do and what I won't do and where I won't go, where I will live and where I won't live. But if it's the Lord determining, then the family follows. The family follows. Jesus said in the parable of the seed and the sower, some, as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. The worries, that's distraction. And those are things that we have to take care of, but we just don't want to be dominated by them. They're the things of life, the things you got to, the insurance and all this stuff, you know, that you got to worry about and, and do, but just don't get so bogged down in it. The riches, that's deception. Deception. And some of the best of them have been deceived by that. Servant of Elisha, Gehazi, he was deceived by greed. Ananias and Sapphira, part of the the greatest time in in the church, in the early church, there in Jerusalem, miracles happening, and, 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 and there was a oneness and a unity like I don't know that we've ever had since. And yet in the midst of that environment and all that God was doing, Ananias and Sapphira gave in to the deception of money and lost what money can't buy. And then the pleasures, that's what we're devoted to. One of the saddest verses in the Bible is 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas, one of Paul's right-hand men in ministry, Demas, because he loved this world, deserted. And then there's... One more. Not detained by romantic relationships. I could do a whole message on that. Whole message on that. Not detained by romantic relationships. How many people I've seen be pulled away from a commitment to the Lord because of some romantic relationship? Samson made that mistake repeatedly. Solomon awful. His wives led him astray. And even a man after God's own heart, King David, after a string of victories and faithfulness, when he was older, he walked out on his balcony when he should have been off at the time when kings go to war, but he decided to take a break and it was spring and it's spring break. And he goes out on the balcony and he looks out and he sees Bathsheba bathing and he sends for her and he has a one night stand and she gets pregnant. He tries to cover it up. doesn't work. And so he then commands his general, Joab, send Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, back out into the battle. Uriah is one of David's mighty men, one of David's mighty men. And Joab's orders are put him on the front line, and when the, when the fighting is the fiercest, pull everybody else back. 
And just as if David killed Uriah with his own sword, David murdered him, murdered him. And you know what his motive was? A romantic relationship. A romantic relationship. It doesn't have to be a romantic relationship that's outside of the guidelines of Holy Scripture. It can be a romantic relationship and you're in holy matrimony. And yet, God's not number one. And you can't say, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything, because your spouse is not willing. Luke chapter 14, verse 20, the parable of the banquet. And those that are invited, you know what one of the excuses was? Can't come. I just got married. If you're single, and if you believe God wants you married someday, and it's God's will for you to be married, and if he does open that door, you be careful who you marry. You marry somebody that loves the Lord with all their heart, and all their mind, all their strength. You marry somebody, you marry somebody that if God speaks to you as a couple and, and, and he calls you somewhere that you marry somebody that you believe would be willing to go anywhere and do anything in the Lord's will, in his army. As I was kind of feeling like I don't really have a message, and obviously, obviously I got something. But I just felt like it wasn't finished. It just wasn't finished. It wasn't finished. I, I just kept saying, Lord, I just feel like it's not finished. It's not finished. It's just not complete. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I got three points there, but I actually got four. I'm just going to give you the last one. You know what it is? The fourth character quality God's looking for, you're willing to die for the cause. It's right there. I didn't see it. It's right there in the text. Has anyone built a new house and not yet begun to live in it? Let him go home or he may die in battle. Has anyone planted a vineyard? Let him go home or he may die in battle. Verse seven, has anyone become pledged to a woman? Not married her, you're engaged? Go home or he may die in battle. You know where the victory for some of us might begin? You got to be willing to die. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. You want victory? You want victory and you're not willing to die for your spouse? It's a spiritual battle. I'll, I'll end where I started. It's a spiritual battle. You want to see God really do something that only God can do in your marriage? Are you willing to die for your spouse? If you're willing to die, I can tell you something. The hand of God will move. The hand of God will move. But a good soldier, you got to be willing to die for the cause. What's the cause? Righteousness. Willing to suffer for righteousness' sake and die for righteousness' sake. What's the cause? Love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Love. What's the cause? Witness. 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 Wives, submit to your husbands, even to those who are harsh. Because how do you know, Peter writes, whether through your death and submission, your husband will get saved and vice versa, vice versa. Maybe the victory for some of us and the beginning of the victory is to choose to die for the cause. 
Thanks for joining Pastor Danny today for his message in Deuteronomy. There's a lot to learn from this Old Testament book. Deuteronomy was written at an interesting time in the Israelites' history. They were ending their time of wandering in the wilderness, and they were on the cusp of entering the Promised Land that they'd anticipated for years. God's promises included in the book of Deuteronomy were a reminder to the people then and are a refresher for us too, that God wants us to be faithful to Him. When your loyalty lies with God, then He's freed up to bless you richly in the way that you go. Do you want or care about God's blessing? If you'd like to hear more about this from Pastor Danny's teachings in Deuteronomy, or if you'd like to explore other series from the Living Word, we invite you to visit ccfstpete.church. Simply go to the Resources tab and click on the Teachings link. While you're browsing our website, you can also learn more about the church where these teachings come from, Calvary Chapel Fellowship. If you're in the St. Petersburg area, come join us for church this weekend. We meet on Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Details and directions are at our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. Join us next time for more from Deuteronomy. Pastor Danny will continue to bring this book to life and help you grow in your understanding right here on The Living Word.